Welcome to Our Stories. I'm your host, Hannah, and every episode we bring on a guest to tell a real story. This episode, our guest is Jim. Hi, how are you doing, Hannah? I'm doing great. How about you? Well, I'm excited to be here, and I have a wonderful story. It's an inspirational story of my life and uh, how God used me and so on and on and on and on. So I've got it all written down, and now I just said to you earlier, if I could just uh, remember what I wrote. <laughs> so, yeah, it's exciting. I guess I'm somewhat of a ham. Because I'm a minister, I like to talk. My name is Jim Duvall, and I want you to know that I'm a man of one book. Now, does that mean you're illiterate? No, it means that the book, the Bible, is my book. It guides me. It leads me. I try to live my life according to it as best I can. I fail, of course. I have flaws in my life, you know, particularly the wife, and I have little set-tos occasionally. But uh, we never let our love disappear when we lay our head down to sleep. Well, I also call myself not only a man of one book, but I call myself a global thinker. Now, a global thinker is somebody that is not bound by details. And if I feel deeply about a subject or something I love, I don't let the details imprison me. My wife is not like that. She's a detailed person. <laughs> so you make a good, you know, good couple. She can help me to get to the details. Also, I'm a self-proclaimed historian. I love history. It was my best subject in school. And I got A's, which were rare, history, government, English, and don't talk to me about <clears throat> math. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Thankfully, because I'm an ordained minister and had my Bachelor of Biblical Studies, I didn't have to take any math. That went right down my alley. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get to the subject of my talk today and my story and this inspirational story that I'd like to share with people. Maybe they can learn from it. I guess I kind of get emotional occasionally about it. So the subject of what I want to talk about, in Rogerson, Idaho, there is a pioneer school that still exists. It was terribly run down. It was built in 1914, and it hasn't had students in it since 1939. My story is about that school, that one, and it was closed in 1939, but the one in Hollister still is going. It's still an active school. They go through the eighth grade, and all the pioneer schools in Filer School District have been closed except for Rogerson. It's still standing. Central School, Victory School, Moroa School, Cedar Draw, Poplar Hill, and others that just escaped my mind today. <laughs> You'd have to take a team of horses. So they had little schools everywhere in the Filer School District. Filer School is a huge district. i just give you a little background on how large the school district is. The western border of Filer School is Buell School District. The Nevada border to the south is the southern border. The border to the north is Snake River. Now, this is interesting to me because I saw the map and very few people have. The Filer School District wraps clear around south of Twin Falls School District, clear over to Kimberly School District. So you're probably wondering, when I get to the upshot of this thing? My connection and my interest in the Rogerson School comes from my grandparents. My grandparents came from southern Illinois on the train and unloaded in 1909 in Shoshone, Idaho. They come with a wagon, all their possessions, and five kids. And Aunt Grace was just a little baby in 1909. My dad wasn't even born yet. They had landed right near Rogerson. And that was in 1912. So that's my connection. They were very near Rogerson. My grandparents homesteaded near Rogerson on Deep Creek. I know they had a spring on the property. The spring was, I'm going to call it Duck Springs. The irrigation run from Salmon Dam out onto all this 129,000 acres. <laughs> 
we think. The first year Grandpa set up, and you had to approve your property. Grandpa could file on 160 acres. Grandma could file on 160 acres, so a total 300 and whatever it is. See, math's not my story, is it? (laughs) (laughs) My dad, Carl, had siblings alive then, and they probably attended that school. Very likely. I mean, where else could they go? The travel was not good. Dirt roads with ruts. They probably couldn't even make it up to Hollister, you know, and get there in time. So they attended. And you could see Rogerson from where I think the property was on Deep Creek. You can see Rogerson. So they probably walked two, three miles (laughs) in the snow up to their hips. (laughs) That's kind of an inside joke for us old guys. But that was a 1912. My grandfather was a square dance caller. Now, I don't know if you know what that is. Swing that pretty little girl around, promenade all around. Anyway, he was a square dance caller, and I know he must have called square dance dances in the school, in the auditorium area. The kids had been in the school. His kids were in the school. He went there. I talked to one lady in Rogerson, and she talked about the ladies would all bring those luscious pies, desserts when they'd come to those square dances and everything. I'd like to talk about my pathway, how I got involved in the restoration of the school. And I was searching in the area of Rogerson, trying to find the location of my grandparents' homestead site in 1908. I moved back from Yakima, Washington, and I wanted to do a 100-year history of the family and write it and have pictures and take pictures of the property and everything. So that's what I did. And I was lost for information. I'd even gone to the Twin Falls courthouse to look at the records, and I was sure that I could find a deed and that I could look at the deed and get the directions at the exact place where that property was that they homestead it so I could write it down and take pictures. And there's probably some old uh, barn wreckage still there and da-da-da-da-da and everything. Anyway, the bad news was I, they had no record. The reason there was no record of my grandparents' deed was because knowing my grandpa, it's going to cost money to get a deed. And not only is it going to cost money to get a deed, (laughs) but they're going to send me a tax notice next year. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing my grandpa, very conservative, never had electricity in his home. So I thought, you know, the reason for that was that he, you know, didn't want to pay taxes or the deed wasn't there. No, later on I discovered he didn't last five years. He starved off. He could not even make a living off that property. People that were well-financed, they could buy up your property rights. So Grandpa would sell his property rights, and they would sell their house and their buildings, and then they took a team of horses on and take them over a mile or two to the next guy, and he'd buy your house. So if I could get some help, details where the property might be for their homestead, I went into the little Rogerson restaurant and gas station, and I saw Anita in there. I never met her before, but she was sure nice and talked and helpful. And I was telling her my deal, and she said, By the way, you have interest in our town and school. Would you be interested in helping with a school restoration? And my answer was, Yes! How? And so it, it led to my part of that restoration. So I began by uh, talking to Anita. She said, yeah, the lady that's in charge of restoration of old historic homes and buildings in the county, and her name is Julia, and we're going to meet together in a few days. Can you come down and be a part of that meeting? I said, I can. When it was time for the meeting, Anita was just so busy, and her, one of her employees didn't show up, of course, and she was just having a lot of trouble getting away. So Julia and I walked up, and we began to talk, and this is the first time I really saw the inside. It was really bad. All the windows were broken out. The uh, pigeon dropped 
droppings were about six inches deep in the main auditorium. And in the kitchen, where it was under the bell tower, it was like a foot thick on the floor. The part of the roof had caved in and the ceiling joists were bulging or flexing from the weight. So Julia and I did start. We had bags there and we just said, well, Anita's not here, so let's just, we'll bag some of this in a cloak closet, which didn't have very much. And we got to talking about plans and she was really supportive and really positive about it. So when we got done with our little talk on our little work, Anita showed up and we talked for a little while, the three of us. And I said, well, we can't do much today. Let's just go out on the front porch and we'll pray about this and ask the Lord to really send people, workers, send resources. So we held hands and prayed and the the ladies were really blessed and so was I as we held together. Julia was Catholic, (laughs) Anita was LDS, and I'm an evangelical. And so we went away, went away, and then the next meeting we had, we had a group of men come from around the community, and we cleaned all the pigeon droppings from the main part. We finished that, and we went home, and I had to go to the Filer High School Alumni Association, and I knew that we were going to need a startup money if we were going to do this work and restore this building. And I said, I'm not a detailed person. I'm, I guess you could call it a visionary. I, I like to call it a global thinker. I don't know how all this is going to work out. I don't know how. It's a huge job. We have no money, but I didn't let that deter me. I said, we'll do one step at a time. And so I had a meeting in the meantime with the Alumni Association, and they had given a scholarship to some of the high school kids from our funds that we collect every year. And they were complaining about it. If you receive a gift of grace like that, didn't earn it, it was just grace, always send a thank you letter. None of the kids wrote letters. And so I said, I have a great project we could do. Instead of that, it's a school thing, just like that. We're restoring the old school at Rogerson. It's in terrible shape, and we need some startup money to get going. There's going to be odds and ends, permits, who knows. And one of the gentlemen on the board said, wait a minute, I have a caution. I have seen this in my life, that you have an eyesore sitting somewhere in a community for years and years and years. The community drives by and say, what an eyesore. I wish somebody would burn it down, or I wish somebody would tear it down. They'll burn it down, or they'll vanish. Pretty soon one lady says, I'd like to make a motion that we do the $500 for the Rogerson School. And I already had told them that it's the very last Pioneer School in the whole school district. All those others are all gone. They've been torn down, burned down. This is it. I think we ought to have a little monument down in Rogerson. (laughs) So now I have money. I have $500. So I know that nobody would want to go in the kitchen because it was dangerous. So I went down on my own and I put eye bolts into the studs on the walls and strung cables back and forth. So if the other half of the ceiling caved in, because I could tell the ceiling joists were straining and we might get a chunk of something coming down, but it wouldn't cause death or serious injury. I got that done. And so I hired my grandson, Cody, to shovel that room out. And so I got all my stuff together and my wheelbarrow and my dump truck on my pickup and my planks to run the wheelbarrows out and dump it in the pickup. And this little man come over and he says, I'm really aged and I, I can't physically help, but if there's anything I can do, just let me know. So Cody and I were headed down. We had a big box fan and then lots of cord. We needed to get the fan in the window to blow the dust all out and everything. I was going to plug into that gentleman's place because he lived right next door to the building. I went over there to the gentleman with my cord all plugged in and ready to go. And I said, can I please plug into your electricity? No, he says, that'll run my bill up. I said, well, sir, fans don't pull any electricity. Maybe if we run it all day, maybe a dollar or something. I was trying to put a good spin on it. And finally, grudgingly, he says, okay, plug it in. Okay, so we got plugged in and we went back over. And so Cody and I worked about two hours, maybe three. We got about half of it shoveled out. So we broke for lunch and we went down to the uh, cafe with Anita. So we rested for about an hour and drank coffee or whatever we did. 
the silver lining's about to come. We started back to the school, and I saw these big old tall young guys hauling pigeon droppings out in Humpton, and they, they almost had it done. And they go, yeah, Nita got us to come down and help, and we about got this done for you. It was such a surprise to me that they did that. We had to do a little more, but the downside of the whole thing, they overloaded my pickup, and I pulled around back, way back to the end of the property to dump it, and my dumper wouldn't work. So I said, Cody, what are we going to do? Him being a young 25-year-old man, jumped up there with a shovel and shoveled that whole load right off the back, and I I stood there and watched. We went home and I began to think about the next project. All right, we got the pigeon droppings out everywhere. Now the pigeons are going to fly back in. What do we do now? It's the next project because we got to get the, that building sealed up. That bell tower is wide open. I mean, pigeons were roosting there by the hundreds probably because they like to roost high, you know, in a safe place. The windows were all broken. Roof with head holes in it, and they were coming in there. So we got to see what's building up. So I called her, and she said, you know, I'll get my brother down here with a big scissor lift to get us up high so we could seal up that. And I said, well, Anita, can you get some help from the community? Can some of your guys that shoveled it out from there, will they come back and help? Yeah, I'll get them. So when are we going to do it? I said, well, as soon as possible. So she gave me a date, and I went down. One guy had already bought the material, the plastic to cover it up, big sheets, big rolls of it. Some guys brought nail guns. I brought strips of wood to seal the plastic so it wouldn't pull loose. About 10 men showed up. So me and another man worked side by side and got this big old sheets of uh, plastic secured on all the big, huge broken windows. Got it all on one side. Another crew did the other side and another crew did the bell tower. And so about four hours, we had it all done, all sealed up. Yay. Our produce stand started up. And I said, when my produce stand starts, I'm going to be all out there. I can't come down anymore. She's, that's fine. And so things kind of, a few months, nothing happened. So I wasn't involved after that for a long, long time. And she was able to get money for grants. The first thing it had to do is we had to get a new roof on it. And she was able to get enough money and they put a new roof on about a year later. Then years went by. I even did another fundraiser. We have our big banquet for the Filer High School Alumni Association. And I made a pitch. I had a posters and Anita came down. She graduated from Filer and she did a presentation and we raised money again for more work. People sent her money in the mail, you know, and everything. So we had some more money. Nothing happened that I know of for a couple of years, maybe three. I don't know how long it was. And so I came by to go to Sam and Dem to fish. And I stopped in to see Anita. She says, hey, Jim, go down and look at the school. Oh, something's happening? Yes, go look. I went down and there was a man, a master builder from California that had come up to settle in Idaho. And he come by and stopped at the gas station to have lunch and gas up his rig. And lo and behold, Anita's mother sat by him and had a long talk. She says, what do you do, sir? He says, I spent my life carpentering and I was a master builder. I just decided to move to Idaho. And she goes, would you be interested in helping us update and restore our local school, a pioneer school? Yeah, sure. He says, but I, I need some help. Will you let me stay in your RV park for free? Can I come to the restaurant some of the time and eat? No problem. I went in that school and he was there. Hey, man, what have you done? This was like maybe a year later. He said, I cut glass until I was sick. He said, I cut glass day after day after day and put new glass in every one of those windows that are broken out. I went in here and the floor was sagging underneath the kitchen about four inches to five inches. I got into there and I built that all and jacked the floor all up after I had to look at all that and what he had done. And I was with tears in my eyes. I said, Anita. And she goes, yeah, big smile. <laughs> I said, you remember our prayer? Send resources to send people. And God did it. So... Anybody listening, this is a perfect lesson for life. Don't be held hostage by details.
You don't know what God's going to do. You have no idea. You're just a simple man. All we can do is see what's now and what's in the past. Be persistent to your goal, whatever you can do. And for Christians, God is faithful to provide when we begin with prayer and asking. I'll close with this. When Hannah and I begin to talk about me telling my story, a little song. In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful. In his time, Lord, show show me every day that you're teaching me your way, that you do just what you say in your time. It probably took about six years before this project got done, but there it is. There's still some more work to be done, but I would say probably 70 to 80% of it's all done, and it looks great. If you're listening in, thank you for joining us, and stay tuned for another episode of Our Stories. Thank you all, and I'll see you in the next episode.